Shalom Aleichem, Shavua Tov, to all of you great listeners of this beautiful station, a station that beams only Devar Torah, Divret Orerut, Divret Musar, Divret Halacha, and of course with religious music. This is Rabbi Albaz from SLC. I'm going to say a few words about the Parashat Vayikra and also about Purim. The Sefer Vayikra is also called Sefer Torat Kohanim. Torat Kohanim, the law for the Kohanim, because most of the Sefer Vayikra talks about korbanot, sacrifices. Now, what's the idea of the korbanot? Well, first of all, korbanot, the sacrifices are a hok. It is not uh, uh, something that we consider just a plain logical thing. It's a, it's a hawk, just like Sha'atnez is a hawk. Paraduma is a hawk. This is a hawk. Is a, a, a hawk means that Hashem is giving us this without any reason. We don't have to think about reasoning. Yet, some Rishonim actually tr- try to give some logical reasons behind this. We have the opinion of the Rambam, Maimonides, and the opinion of the Ramban. Rambam says the following. First of all, how did Abu Dazara come in in the first place? Now, after all, Adam Arishon was formed and created by Kadosh Baruch Hu, And obviously, he, he worshipped Kadosh Baruch Hu. It is true. But what happened is, as the generations uh, passed by, well, then... A couple of generations later, that people started to see, wait a minute, you have the moon, you have the, the sun. These are uh, sort of agents of Akadosh Baruch Hu. So they figured, well, no, no, Akadosh Baruch Hu, of course, is the Borei Olam, but they're his agents. So just like when you have a, a representative of a king and you give a lot of kabot to the representative of the king, these are agents of the king of kings, well, we're going to also try to give him kavod. But then, after another couple generations, it was not just merely kavod. We like to be worshipping them. They're worshipping them. And they start worshipping other things, like animals, rivers. Until the end where we see that, for example, by Mitzrayim, their god was a taleh, a lamb. Now, other, the kasdim, for example, they had something other. They had the goat. Others had the ox. And to this day, we know uh, the Hindus, they still uh, worship the, uh, the cow, which is from, you know, that's the same as the ox family. So, according to Rambam, at that time, before Matan Torah, the Bnei Israel uh, recognized the fact that in the whole world at that time, there was a tremendous, strong urge for Avodah Zarah. And, that, and, and they, they were there in the midst of Avodah Zarah all over the world. And everyone had that, that urge to go and be worship Avodah Zarah. How do we remove that Yitzher Hara? Of so the Rambam says, this is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us 
take those animals like Shor or Chesef or Ez, the ox family, the sheep family or the goat family, take those that are actually gods to the other nations, take them, bring them as a korban themselves. See that those gods absolutely have no power. They can't even defend themselves. How could they defend somebody else? Therefore, Hashem said, take those and slaughter them. Then this way is that you can remove the whole concept of Yeserara from them. When they see that those gods are worthless, then they, the Yeserara will go. Uh, this is what uh, 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 the Rambam uh, is saying. The Rambam says, uh, slight, this is different. He says, no, really, the Korbanot was to force Teshuvah on a person. A person, let's say, uh, has a, makes a sin, Bishogeg, inadvertently does something wrong. He has to bring a Korban. The Korban helps him in making Teshuvah by seeing what's happening to the animal. And he says to himself, look, this thing should have happened to me, but Hashem gave me a way out by bringing, making it happen to the animal. And this way, a person would come to Teshuvah to Hashem. After all, the word Korban comes from the word Karob, meaning to get near. Yes, the Korban is to bring near the people to Hashem so they can really recognize Hashem more, fear Hashem more, have awe from the Borei Olam. And this way, they will not sin any longer. <laughs> but as as we as we look through the parasha, we see that Hashem is saying, "Oh, you can bring a, a sheep, you can bring a doves, or you can bring a plain minha flower." He said, "The the idea behind this is Kadosh Baruch Hu does not need a korban altogether. The whole world belongs to Hashem. The whole universe is Hashem's. The idea behind it is the heart." Whether a person brings an ox, or he brings a lamb, or he brings a dove, that's not the main point. The main point is the heart. To show that you really mean it, you're coming in because you are sorry. You are regretting that you, you did that sin. As we say, Nullify your will what you want in order to do the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is something very important, very important in life. But tell Resonecha, we had in the Haftarah we read yesterday, Shaul HaMelech, Shemuel gave him specific instructions. Now Shaul HaMelech was a king. A king should not deviate from the instructions of Hashem. And he told him, go to Amalek, destroy Amalek, not just the people, everyone, including the animals, all of them, everything. He came back, and after the war, Shemuel comes to him, and Shaul says to Shemuel, <coughs> I actually did what Hashem instructed me to do. How could that be? It really was not, it was not complete. He did not 
uh, uh, actually do, fulfilled all the command of Hashem. So Shemuel says to him, what's this that I hear? I hear all these cows that you have over here. He says, oh, this is for, uh, this is because we want to give kirbanot to Hashem. These are really good, healthy, you know, uh, 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 animals when kirbanot to Hashem. Shemuel's answer is, does HaKadosh Baruch Hu really need these things? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not, you're not interested in that. Interested in the heart. Interested in you doing what he's asking you to do. That's the main thing. But we have seen throughout the ages how Sadiqim, or people, even plain people, how they are mevatelet sonam. They really go through uh, sometimes misirut nefesh in order to do, fulfill the mitzvah of Hashem. The Midrash says that when the singers of Sion, in other words, after the destruction of the first temple, and they went to Galut, and the Leviim that were you know, singing uh, and, and, and chanting and, uh, uh, and playing music, they were asked by the king to do to play that same thing in front of him for secular purposes, for for worldly cause. And of course, if they refused, what was going to happen is they could be threatened and sentenced to severe punishment. So the midrash goes that they cut the tip of the finger. This way they were unable, unable to play at all. That's, I read a little story the other day about a couple that came from Russia. And this couple were not extremely religious, but they followed the precepts of the Torah. And uh, they came here to America. They were already advanced in age and they didn't have any children. So the husband passed away and then when it came to the funeral, there was hardly anybody there. They had no families, no children, nothing. Uh, hardly, you know, a few people that came in. So the wife asked some of the people from the Hebra Kadisha, from there, can anyone say anything, any eulogy about my husband? I said, look, we don't know, you know, we don't know him. But no, there's nothing we can say. So she said, she says, I'm gonna say something about my husband. He said, We have no children. Do you know why we don't have any children? Because we were in Russia in a, this village there for thirty years. There was no mikveh in that place. And there was no mikveh, I could not go to any Mikvah, and my husband did not touch me for the 30 years. That's why we didn't have any children. There's another thing. He says, What does this mean? It means like this. It's a special thing here for the Korbanot. If you learn the laws of the Ola, it is as if you are actually Makriv Ola. 
bringing the offer. You learn the laws of the, the minha, it's as if you're bringing the minha. This is very special for the korbanot. Now, if you learn the laws of tefillin, it is not as if you put on tefillin. You have to put on the tefillin. If you learn the laws of sukkah, it doesn't mean you have fulfilled the mitzvah of the sukkah. Oh, you fulfilled the mitzvah of learning Torah, but not the sukkah. But this is very special. If you learn the laws, the laws of Kodshim, it is as if you are Makrib the Kodshim. Rabbi as we, we go on a little bit here, and let me go a little bit about Purim. Purim, at the time in, in Shushan and the whole 127 states, the spiritual level of the people at that time was not high. In fact, it was low, quite low. There was a great amount of assimilation and really, uh, they, 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 they were not uh, uh, very um, following all the precepts of the Torah properly. And Mordechai told them not to go to the banquet of the king. They did anyway. Uh, and, and they saw all the hitolelut, all the brazenness that was going on. The immorality that was going on, the vessels of the of, of the Beit Hamikdash that were being used, and all that. So that's why Hashem wanted to somehow to redress them, to give him a shock, so that perhaps they'll come back and make teshuvah properly. And that's what happened. Haman came, Gezerah was there, and after the Gezerah, they all came back. They fasted, they prayed to Hashem. Everything was turned around, and the Geula came. Well, let's concentrate on a, a, specific, a specific point here. Haman comes to the king, King Ahasuerus. He makes him an offer. He says, you know what? I would like to get rid of the Jews. All over. Not just Mordechai. Only Mordechai was bothering him. No, you all over. And I'm going to give you 10,000 kikar of silver. Now, 10,000 kikar of silver is quite a fortune. Uh, if you were to translate that somehow, approximately, it can't be you know, exact. Uh, in, in today's uh, uh, value, uh, let's see, uh, a kikar is approximately 100 pounds. Uh, so we're talking about 10,000 kikar, so that makes it 100 pounds, a million pounds. A million pounds, uh, each pound is 16 ounces. So we're talking about 16 million ounces of silver. Well, but today's standard, I don't know exactly how much is worth an ounce of silver, but assuming it's around uh, 15 $16 or so, we're talking about over $250 million. So that's, a, that's, that's, that's a fortune. But this is what he was offering in order to get rid of the Jews. The king accepted. What's the idea behind the king accepted? Well, the Hachamim give a, um, a mashal. They say, a guy who has a field, 
So it's a big field. But right in the middle of the field, he has a, a huge mound of sand. And he wants to get rid of it. It's like a sore thumb there. But, you know, it's expensive to, to get rid of that. No, he, he wants his field to be level. Well, next to him, there was another guy who also had a nice big field, but he has a huge ditch, big pit. So one day, the guy with the pit meets the guy that has the mound. He says, to him, you know what? Hey, you have a big mound over there. I have a ditch over here. Why don't we take the sand that you have there, take it all of it, put it on my pit over here, and you're going to have a, uh, a level field, and I have a field that's level. Hey, <laughs> terrific. Both are happy. Shalom Israel. Everyone is uh, satisfied with the deal. So it's the same thing here. Ahasuerus had a mound, which is the Jews. He didn't really like them. He wants to get rid of them. But he didn't want to do it on his own. Now that someone comes uh, with an offer to get rid of them, <laughs> here's, my, here's my insignia, here's my ring. Go ahead. Go ahead, do it. That's fine with me. In that case, how come Haman was punished? Ahasuerus was not punished. Why was Ahasuerus saved from punishment? What was different from between, the, between Haman and Ahasuerus? And there's a big difference. Haman al-Rashai, Mahshimur Zichron, he was from Amalek. Haman had a illogical, irrational, strong hatred for the Jews. He just did not like the Jews because they were Jews. He liked them. Won them. It irritated him. But when it came to Achashverosh, it was not. Achashverosh was not from Amalek. Here, according to Midrash, Achashverosh had some astrologers telling him that the next king is going to be a Jew. Now, you have to realize in those days, uh, kings usually had like uh, astrologers and they believed in them. I mean, we see, for example, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, uh, before he was born and and the astrologers had told Paron, oh, Moshe Amshel Israel, the, the one that's going to redeem the Bnei Israel is going to be born. Uh, he believed that. He said, Immediately made a decree. Any boy that's, uh, that's going to be born, throw him into the Nile. So they did believe. So here Achashverosh is saying to himself, Oh, the next king is going to be a Jew. That means the Jews are going to rebel and they, they, they're going to somehow dethrone him, throw him out and place a, a, a Jew to be the king of Persia. So he got scared. Now, this was not a, a, a self-inherent a, a hatred for the Jews, but somehow a fear for his own life. Well, what happened? Of course, later on, we had to realize that the, uh, when Esther Malka was selected to be a queen, according to the Megillah, it was the seventh year of the reign of, of Achashverosh. That was his seventh year. Uh, this thing with Haman happened in the twelfth year of his reign. So there was a five-year difference there. So by that time, 
the son was already born, Daryavish. That was the son. Daryavish, and it's also called Koresh, the same person. Then he realized by asking around that, being that Daryavish was the son of a Jewish woman, then he's a Jew. Then he figured out, oh, I know now why my astrologers are telling me the next king is going to be a Jew. It's my own son. At that point, he changed course. Then the hatred that he had was not really a hatred, but the fear that he had from the Jews changed completely. And we see that actually during the uh, night, during that night when he woke up and he was asking, well, did anyone uh, do any favor that we had no reward to him? He said, yeah, Mordechai Yehudi. And just then Haman came, and then uh, Achashverosh asked Haman, what should we do for someone like this? I did tell the whole bunch of things which he thought was for himself. I gave him the most beautiful costumes and uh, clothing of the king, put him on the uh, uh, chariot of the king and uh, the horse of the king and run around. This is the kind of person that the king really wants to elevate and so on and so forth. But then, then Achashverosh said to him, do everything that you said. Now, do it to Mordechai Yehudi. Don't leave out any detail. No, 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 I want detail. Now, if he had any hatred for the Jews, obviously he wouldn't do that. He changed course. So there's a difference. And this is a big difference. You see, the Bnei Israel had fought many wars with many other nations. Okay, but Hashem is telling us Zachor et Asher Asalecha Amalek. Hashem is only insisting on getting rid of Amalek, not of the others, not the Midianim, and not 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 not, not the Plishtim. And they say like Timhez Zecher Plishtim. We don't have that kind of mitzvah. Amalek, we do. What's the difference? The difference is this: Amalek has two. Specific characteristics. Amalek is the kind of nation that attacks the Jews only because they are Jews. No other reason. It's just self-hatred. Second, Amalek attacks the weak, the elderly, the defenseless, the children. The ones in the back. The ones that cannot defend themselves. That's Amalek. Now you might say, Amalek nowadays, the actual nation of Amalek nowadays does not exist. If it was, as they say, they were bilbul ha'umot. All the nations had been mixed up, so we don't know. There's no way to identify specifically who is Amalek. However, there are some hachamim that say the following. Anyone, any nation that displays these two characteristics could be considered as Amalek. If they want to eradicate Hasbe Shalom, the Jewish nation, just for the sake, because they're Jews, and they go ahead and attack the civilians and the defenseless, well, this could be considered like Amalek. And we've had that. Haman was one of them. He, was, he wanted to get rid of all the Jews, just for the sake. Hitler in Mahshimov is the same thing. 
He wanted to get rid of the Jews because they were Jews. He didn't fight soldiers. There was no Jewish army at the time anyway. He, because they were Jews, he wanted to get rid of them. Hashem just did the other way. At the end, he was the one that the world got rid of. We say, Every generation is going to be something that wants to get get rid of the Jews. But somehow he looks down and he sees his uh, 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 beloved nation and he helps out. Look, the last generation we had Saddam Hussein what did he say? He said, well, we're going to wipe out Israel. He keeps saying that a few times. And he, he did, it didn't bother him. He said publicly. What happened? He went the way, the way of the Nazis, the way of Haman. He was hanged. This generation, we have something else. We have Khamenei in Mahshimu. Khamenei says, Israel will not exist after 25 years. What do you mean Israel is not going to exist? This is what he said. Now this is now we can understand what he has in mind. But you see, Rabotai, he says that Israel will not exist in 25 years. I say he not, he's not going to exist in the next 10 years, he won't exist. He's the one that's going to go. And you see, Rabotai, I just want to mention one more thing. Uh, and this has to do with the idea of showing the difference between the Amsegula that we are and the other nations. How many of you have heard of the Grand Mufti of Yerushalayim? First of all, do you know what Grand Mufti means? A Grand Mufti means... The, the 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 highest authority on a uh, Islam Islamic law. In other words, if there's any rule of Islam to be, you know, like a psak on something, they go to the Grand Mufti. It is not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a political uh, uh, appointment. He's not a king. He's not a president. He's supposed to be a religious man supposedly a rich man a high authority a pious man the way we thought of was a sadiq and 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 it was the posek posek ador they the sunni muslims think of the grand mufti as that way that's him so you would expect him to be a really a man of sound moral and ethical values, right? But we didn't happen that way. But three months ago, Netanyahu made a, a statement saying that actually, he says, initially, initially, 
Hitler in Mashimu was not planning on exterminating the Jews until the Grand Mufti at that time in 1941, it was uh, Amin al-Husseini at the time, he met with him and convinced him that he should get rid of the Jews. He repeatedly had meetings, not only with Hitler, he had meetings with, with Ribbentrop, with, with Himmler, with all these people, trying to convince him. So he, in his mind, now he had, let's say he had a problem with the Jews in Palestine, right? So if you want to do something, if you want to, uh, uh, let's say, uh, somehow take care of your problem, so stick with the Jews in Palestine. No, not good enough for him. He wanted to get all the Jews in Europe. Same like Haman. Mordechai's not enough for him. Everybody. Same like Haman. Now, what Netanyahu said actually was backed by a great scholar, a uh, historian, a, a German uh, who's not a Jew, a Gentile. His name was Dr. Wolfgang Schwanitz. He actually backed and said, yes, that is true. That the Grand Mufti was crucial in somehow uh, uh, pushing this idea of getting rid of the Jews. But this is the difference about that between Amsegula and other nations. See, in the last 3,500 years since we received the Torah, there were many, many nations that tried to nullify the nation of Israel. But you know what? It didn't happen. Paron and all his chariots and all his war machine was drowned in the sea. Haman was hanged. The Nazis and all their war machine was destroyed. Saddam Hussein was destroyed. Any other nation in the future that's going to do the same or try, attempt to do the same thing, it will go towards the same path of destruction. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu Matzilenu Miyadam. They'll never be successful. They will never attain their goal or objective. Am Israel Chai. Shavua Tov to all of you. I just want to mention again, please, when you're ready, especially in Purim now, everybody gives matanot, uh, you give gifts, you give to the poor, you give all kinds of things. You, uh, you, you donate to various organizations. Please don't forget this organization, which is uh, J-Root. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. People here are volunteers. They work very, very hard to keep the, 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 the Torah alive, our uh, religious music alive, something that we want to keep in this community. So please think seriously about donating also to this organization. At the same time, let me mention that as we have now a beautiful, stunning social hall downstairs, if you have any simha, especially a wedding, or a bar mitzvah, a brit milah, engagement, shower, whatever, I am sure we can accommodate you beautifully. 
שבוע טוב, שלום עליכם.